0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about legacy, purpose, influence, love and sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe and join the thousands of other change makers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.manytalks.com for more blog posts, podcasts, and the videos from our live events. Today, I have a very special guest with me. He's a, a friend, colleague of mine, and one of the most humble and knowledgeable people that I know when it comes to the realm of wealth. Today, we're gonna talk about Dan Harrison's story on putting himself into an incredible amount of debt, financial debt, at the age of twenty, and bouncing back from it without having to go bankrupt, he's got an incredible story. But he also knows a vast amount about wealth and the financial industry. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about everything money related. We're going to talk about wealth mindset. We're going to talk about how and where you should invest your money. We're going to talk about how to save, how to properly spend, uh, and and how to earn how to earn more money. So this is a pretty great topic. It's something that a lot of people have been asking for in the last little while. Uh, so what you ask for, you shall receive. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Dan Harrison. All right, Mr. Dan Harrison, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thank you, buddy. I'm excited to have you on here. Are you, you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready to go. Great. So, how we normally start off? I'm gonna I'm gonna field you a question. Are you all, all right. set? I'm ready. Tell us, tell the audience and myself, a defining moment, a story about a defining moment that has made you who you are today.
1: Uh, <laughs> Just one, right? Just one. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you know, so I, I often say that I, uh, you know, I'm a financial strategist. I've been in the finance industry for ten years. I often say that I got into this industry by mistake. The reason I say that is because when I was 20, uh, like a young kid, you know when you're young and you know everything? Oh yeah. So I had this great idea to build a 88 condo unit development with like no money, no experience, no connections, no idea what I was doing, but I was like, "Oh, I could do that." I watched a couple TV shows and they were like flipping houses. How hard could it be? This was back in like 2006, so before any kind of like credit collapse with the markets and and uh, the housing industry. And back then, it was incredibly ridiculous to, uh, like, ridiculously easy to get money. As a 20 year old kid working as a server making eight bucks an hour, I walked into the Royal Bank, gave them a a presentation, an idea for this condo development, and the lady at the at the uh, that I was dealing with was like. Oh. Yeah, that could work. And basically, like typed into her little computer and and sent me off with a half million dollar line of credit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I proceeded to spend that half la- uh, million dollar line of credit on. I bought. I did buy a property for about three fifty and spent another hundred in development costs, rezoning, and and actually got pretty close to getting a deal together. But actually, you know that. Project never got off the ground and I was left with a bunch of debt. And that moment, like being in debt, uh making eight bucks an hour, not knowing what to do, was a defining moment because it took me the next nine years to get out of that. And the way I did it was I just went into the bank every weekend and was like, what the heck do I do now? And little bit by little bit I learned, I learned, and and I was in there so much they eventually gave me a job. And uh <laughs> And, uh, yeah, as a result, you know, 10 years later, I managed to, uh, get out of that mess and have, you know, 10 years of experience. And, you know, I was, I actually had this conversation yesterday with, or the other day with Kim. And I was kind of emotional about it because my biggest accomplishment, and this is like kind of sad, but my biggest accomplishment is that I didn't go bankrupt. <laughs> That that that's it. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a that's a that's a story and a half, man. And, and it's <laughs> it's and it's interesting because so many people found themselves, you know, in that situation. Be right before two thousand eight, right before the financial market collapsed, and you know, you kind of got in in there and and got this you know huge lump sum, and then you know you basically went out and invested you know invested in a home and, and whatnot and put yourself into into a bit of a into a bit of a pickle. So, you know, it's. I think it, it, debt's one of these interesting things, and I and I think you know if you, if you are cool with it, I would love to love to look at that a little bit. And I, I think what would be great for for our audience is to kind of jam on on wealth a little bit and kind of talk about debt and some of those pieces. Because, man, like I don't know anybody that's put themselves into half a million dollars worth of debt and then like shoveled their way out of there like you haven't. And, and you know, we've, I've known you for a few years now and, and I've seen you hustling to get out of that space. And it's interesting because I think so many people have limiting beliefs and limitations around wealth. And, you know, the majority of people have some sort of financial debt, whether it's credit cards, line of credit, mortgage, like whatever it is. And, that can be that can weigh very heavily on them, and it can be this like part of their identity that's not so not so great so so let's so let's talk about this. take me back to right after right after so you've got the five hundred thousand dollars and you've basically spent all of it you've got this property and you're trying to like close this deal, and market crashes, and basically like you know that that Idea is not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Now, well. Now I, what? Yeah. I, I. I would say that's kind of generous. I, I don't think I knew that that idea wasn't going to happen. I held on to that idea happening for way too long, mm. <laughs> because you know, at the kind of at the lowest point was I. Well, maybe not. I've had a lot of low points, but in that moment when the first initial deal didn't didn't go through, I had it was about $200,000 of unsecured debt. So there's a different, like when you're talking about debt, right, there's, there's good debt, and there's bad debt. You know, to me, though, it all just occurred as bad debt. Mm. I didn't realize that I actually had an asset until later on in the house. And I later learned that I could use that asset, I could leverage it, I could, you know, there's, there was some maneuvers that I could do with, with, the debt that was attached to my house.
0: So so just one second, can you can you unpack good debt and bad debt cuz I don't know if everybody knows oh, what that what yeah. that would mean cuz I I think like I I think about myself like 5 years ago and I was like financially illiterate and if somebody said good debt I would have been like, "Ah, you're trying to sell me something." So <laughs> so un- unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, sure. So really simply like good debt is you can if you if you borrow money to buy something, an asset or anything that appreciates in value, that could be a house, houses typically appreciate um, stocks, uh, or maybe like, you know, investments typically will appreciate a business. The, those are good debts. And you can kind of tell if they're good debts for a couple of reasons. Like one of them, often the interest is tax deductible, or can be. That's one indication of a, of a good debt. If your tax if your interest payment is tax deductible, whereas on the other side, bad debt is things that like people would buy, uh, for example, uh, you, you purchase something that has no value or has, no, or has maybe not no value, but has a decreasing benefit. So a car is the most obvious example there. You, buy, you, you borrow money to buy a car, you drive it off the lot, it's 30% less. So cars are not typically classified as good debt, they're more bad debt.
0: So, do a lot of people? So, what I hear is that the good debt. A lot of this is you're borrowing. You're borrowing money to invest in something, whether it's a home or a company. Let's say that you're hoping that the stocks are going to increase, like it's an up and coming company. So, is is that is that about right?
1: Yeah, and also there's probably an argument to be made with you know Robert Kiyosaki talks a lot about good debt, bad debt, and uh, he's he. You know, wouldn't classify your primary residence as good debt. He he, because um, another indication of of good debt is that it produces an income or it, it produces some kind of return. So, your primary residence is not necessarily good debt because it costs you money every month. But if you get a rental property and that rental property has a rental income, then that is good debt.
0: Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of like started to realize that you did have some of these assets eventually and that you, you know, maybe weren't in as bad of a situation as you could. Talk to me a little bit about the looming threat of bankruptcy. Because I think, you know, a, a lot of us have been in in this situation, even like the richest of the rich, you know, most people go through some space in their life unless they've been given a trust fund since they were born. And they never have to deal with it. The majority of people, the reality is, is that there's a couple of points in their life where they struggle and they struggle to make, make make ends meet and pay rent and, and you know, we can have that sort of burden looming over us. But I don't think that many people have had the threat of bankruptcy personally. So tell us how that came about and what that experience was like for you. Yeah,
1: I got a couple. Basically, I mean, there were, there were a few times where, I thought for sure this is it. Like I gotta go bankrupt. It was. It is like it sucks, man. It it sucks. Um, the other thing that was, I'd always often worked like commission based uh, jobs or or was an entrepreneur, and so it was always um, never had a, any guarantee of paychecks either. So I was always in this space of hustling and just doing whatever I can to not go bankrupt. Starting you know, as a server, I was working three jobs as a server, you know, the keg, the olive garden and, and Earls. And I, I like just working all the time and then got into finance. And, and, um, actually my first job was like the, literally the traveling insurance agent, I had like a rust bucket Honda civic going all up and down BC from Prince Rupert up near Alaska all the way to like Seashell, selling insurance policies out of the back of my little rust bucket car, whatever (laughs) it took to not go bankrupt. That was my only goal. And, um, and that's actually kind of telling in itself, you know, because that was the result. That was my life experience for a lot of years until I shifted that mindset. Cause all I was focusing on was the debt. And um, Mm -hmm. there's one moment that I can think of that, that was a uh, definitely a defining, like shift in my mindset. It was a few years in, maybe four or five years in, and by this time, uh, you know, I, I was working at Investors Group. I was a financial advisor. Uh, I would lost like a big deal. It was a forty thousand dollar commission check, and it it didn't clear. It actually, I got paid it, and then they changed their mind, and it got taken away. So that's a. But in that uh, moment, I I remember. I had a daily practice. I I was, you know, meditating and journaling, and those were staples in my life. And I went to, I went into my office at my house, and I remember just feeling so resigned and uh, depressed, and like this was it. And I remember writing down in my journal everything that was wrong. And every problem I could think of, every cost that was associated with with this debt. And I wrote it all out. And I remember thinking to myself, this is all, uh, like, I don't know the answer to this. I can't figure this out. And I literally, in my mind, I crumpled it up. All those ideas and numbers and debt, and it was about $25,000 in total is what I needed. And I crumpled it all up into a ball. And I remember imagining pushing that down into my subconscious mind. And I was like, you figure it out because I obviously can't do it. And uh, I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I went back to my journal and I started writing. And, you know, it's thank you for this day. I'm grateful for this and that. And I just started writing. And literally, as I'm writing, these ideas start coming to my mind and I'm writing and I'm like, oh, there's that person. And, and awesome. This, this idea I, if I talked to this person and, and did this, and I saw how I could get twenty five thousand dollars. And at that point, I had I had about a hundred bucks left in my like left to my name. And I was living in Victoria at the time. And I made a couple calls. And it turns out that this guy was going to be in Vancouver for two days at the Sutton Place Hotel. And so I I get on a I take a bus I get on the ferry walk on. I take a bus to the Sutton Place Hotel. So now I'm down to like, I don't know, maybe 60 bucks. And I'm waiting for this guy to have a meeting with him. And he's a very successful man. I thought that he was in Vancouver looking to buy a condo, but it turns out he was in Vancouver to buy the whole building, so very wealthy guy. And I, I went there and my I just asked him, how do you get there? How does that happen? How do you buy an entire condo building? And he told me his story, and he shared some wisdom with me. And at the end of it, he just said, "What did you want again?" And then I told him about this land development deal. And and uh, and he uh, that was on a Friday. And on the Monday, I received a twenty five thousand dollars check in my bank account, and that bought me some time, and it allowed me to continue on and not go bankrupt. Eventually, uh, you know, paid him back and and. Um, you know, he gave him a, a good return on, on that investment on me. But that was one of the first times I, I'm like, holy crap. That was cr- If it works for 25 grand, I wonder if it works for 40. I wonder <laughs> if it works for 50. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was definitely one of those moments where I realized, wow, money is literally everywhere. Mm. And I could stop focusing on the debt and I could start creating.
0: That's powerful, man, because I, I think that, you know, everybody has their own sort of paradigms or their own thoughts on what money means and what money means to them and what money means in life. And I'm, I'm curious about how this experience, you know, this sort of journey, like what are some of the key things that you've learned about money itself? Because you know, I've heard you talk about it a few times and I think some of those things are, are pretty powerful.
1: Yeah. Oh man. You know, one of the things that I feel very blessed, um, very grateful for is that in this journey of being a, an advisor or a strategist, a uh, consultant for 10 years and traveling all over BC, even in my early years, but I have had the opportunity to sit down with over a thousand people and talk about money and talk about what it means to them, talk about life, um, their goals. And I've just seen, you know, from from the the student who just graduated university to the 90-year-old who's looking to pass on his estate and everything in between. There's different life stages, and at different times, people have different meanings about uh, or, or goals around money, different concerns about money. And I'm grateful for the perspective that I now have, because not only that, but... Even different cultures, different cultures have different beliefs in the way that they manage their money. And so I would, you know, my perspective in terms of how many different ways there is to manage and to and and to develop a relationship with money. I mean, it, it's infinite. Every single person has a completely unique relationship with money. And so when you say like, what does money mean? That I think, honestly, that's a question that a lot of people don't necessarily even explore. It's kind of just unconsciously a thing that they deal with in life but it's (laughs) like money is everywhere it is it it is like a a life force of its own you you spend it all the time you it it's just everywhere so and every person has a unique relationship with it
0: yeah i think i think where most people kind of go wrong and this shifted my mentality this one like phrase that money is the means not the goal and You know, I think what you're talking about and what I hear you talking about is that in all of these experiences with sitting down with people around the world and different cultures and helping them save and helping them make and helping them invest and and all that, uh, you know, all the all the different areas of money that where I where I see people get stuck and what I hear you talking about is that they look at money as the goal, as the result of what they're working for rather than the means to the fulfillment in their life, rather than the means to do the things that they want to do and spend the time with the people that they want to spend time with. Is that, does that hit home?
1: That is a, yeah, for sure. That's a dangerous game, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a dangerous game. And, and uh, I, I got a quick little, you know, an experience where I got that lesson. I was with some friends uh, in, over in North Van you know, very wealthy part of Vancouver. And I was invited to this party and there was, uh, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, it was in this probably 10, $15 million mansion, like all the food you can imagine. Just, you know, I, I grew up in Abbotsford. So it's like a, that's <laughs> another world over there. But uh, I'm over there and and the owner of the house is, is talking to a group of friends and, and I overheard him say, you know, we don't have a lot of money, and I I, I was like shocked, and I stopped him. And I said, oh, "Excuse me, I, I, what do you mean by that? Like you don't have a lot of money?" And he said, "Well, you know, that guy over there, you know, our neighbor, he's worth about fifty million, and that guy's worth a hundred million, and you know, we we we're only about thirty million. I mean, we don't have very much, mm-hmm. and and that, it was like this moment. I realized, oh my gosh, it, like there's, you'll never be satisfied, and and I saw that that was actually the path and kind of the road that I was on was was just trying to earn more, get more, and and then it just kind of hit me that, uh, you know, this guy's experience was that he didn't have a lot, and mm-hmm. it kind of yeah, it was uh, one of those eye opening moments where. Our, I was like, if I, if I go down that road, would that be my experience?
0: So it's almost like how much is enough?
1: Yeah. Like what is, what is, what is rich? What is wealthy? What, what, you know, these are questions that people, I would encourage to ask, uh, you know, ask themselves, what does money mean to you? What is success for you? What, what would be enough?
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that, that, that question is interesting, right? What would be enough? Because. I think it can get easy as soon as you start having success. And I see this with a lot of men where they'll start having success. And then it's almost like that, you know, that sort of like hunger for more takes over and they become a little bit addicted to like the, the earning and that becomes their identity and becomes, you know, a huge part of who they are. And then before you know it, they're in that guy's situation where, you know, he's got 30 mil in the bank and thinks that he's broke and, I mean, that's that's such an interesting concept because then you get stuck in this this game where happiness is always on the other side of something and you never actually get to experience and enjoy it. So it's a this is a really good point. So so let's let's talk about the different areas of money. Right. Because there's making money, there's saving, investing and spending. Right. Am I missing anything? Or are those like the four pillars?
1: Mm, yeah. No,
0: that, that. Awesome. Works, yeah. So so let's let's start let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about making money because I think one of the things that I've I've observed and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is that you have a very unique ability to like see money where other people would see nothing. So you like see opportunities to make money. And I think that that is something that a lot of people could really learn from. So what do you think are some of the keys to actually making and earning money cuz you you told that story about how, you know, you made the twenty-five grand. But that's like that's one of literally like a dozen times that I've seen you do something like that, where all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I need fifty thousand dollars. And then in like a week you're like, okay, I got the fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> and I'm sitting there being like, What how the hell did you do that? And so so I'm curious, tell us the Dan Harrison secrets behind making money. Like what what mentality do what mentality do you have that goes into that? And what are some of the like the tools or the secrets that people should know about in terms of earning. Yeah.
1: Uh cool. Okay. Thanks for asking that question, man. Um a couple things come to mind. Like um uh, actually, so like Gary V is in my head right now. Uh mm. I want to acknowledge you for putting on one amazing event, man. That was Thank you. That was so awesome. So proud of you, man. That was a great great event and uh and you know what popped into my head right there was was Gary V when he was talking about um, how he loves carnage and uh, and how he and uh, you know he can't wait for the next crash because then that influencer on Instagram is going to have to change his name to bartender or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and and and, um, and he was kind of giving a shout out to the to the you know maybe more mature of the crowd who have gone through some shit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like some people who have lived through some downturns, who have, who have had to, you know, been against the ropes and had to find a way to fight back and to figure it out. Right. And I would attribute my ability to earn income out of like a survival mechanism, out of being like with my back against the ropes, having a bunch of debt and just fighting to not go bankrupt. And because of that, you know, I had to get very creative all the time uh, and trying to find ways to earn more money to pay off the debt to, and, you know, after doing that for nine years, you know, it's not like it's, Oh, okay. I've, you know, I read a book and now I can magically know how to make, make money. It's like trial and error. And for every one idea that makes money, there's probably 12 that don't. And, and I sometimes feel bad for my fiance, Kim, because I literally have a new idea every day and it, <laughs> it probably drives her nuts. Like, okay, is like, I think she, she all, she often say, like, if just one, just, just like any of these work, we'll be like multi, multi millionaires. <laughs> anyway. So it's not, it's not about that. It, it, it's, it, I think what being in a situation where I had to earn money, it kind of forced me to get creative. And if, if anything, that is the, that is the secret. It's it's to be able to be creative. I mean, money is literally everywhere. I'm looking outside my window right now. I see about 350 cars in a parking lot. I see people walking around. And all of those people have got money. And, and it's it's just walking around. <laughs> and and I, I think one of the biggest like sayings or piece of advice that I got was, you will get paid in exact proportion to these three things. Let's see if I remember them. Number one is the need for what you do. The second thing is your ability to do it. And then the third is the difficulty there would be to replace you. Hmm. And so you don't, if you are in an industry or better yet, if you can solve problems, that is what you get paid for, honestly. like there are, And there are a million problems out in the world. And if you can solve people's problems, people will pay you money for that. I think that's probably a pretty clear mindset distinction between like, oh, I'm going to go trade my time for money to get a paycheck versus I'm going to help people solve problems that they have and they're going to pay me for that. And there's no shortage of problems.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think just to like circle back to the core of your message about creativity being the... Sort of like the simplest way to make to make money, and then have that play into problem solving. I think that that's I think that that's huge. That's kind of like the formula right there, right? Like find a problem, be creative on solving it, and and you'll make money out of that. And you know, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, he does the Flip Challenge, right? He challenges everybody because he was tired of hearing everybody bitch and complain that they don't have enough money, they don't have enough money to start up their business, and so he started this challenge to get people to Find things that they have that they weren't using anymore, flip them, sell them, and then make that money to invest. And so, you know, all of a sudden people were flipping stuff, they're making a couple hundred bucks, and then they were using that money in order to invest in stocks or to, you know, buy the program that they're looking for, like pay off the credit card debt, whatever it was. And I think that that type of creativity when problem solving is exactly what you're talking about because that's what leads to you know the that's what leads to the success to the to the to the earning potential so that's huge brother thank you
1: yeah i got one more thing on that
0: yeah yeah one yeah
1: thing is um and this is this is kind of, this is really important with when it comes to solving problems sometimes we'll just imagine that a problem exists uh, or, you know or what i've seen and i've done this before too is what you think might be a problem might not be somebody's problem and the mm-hmm. only way to actually figure out what the problem is, is to be a very good listener. Like, you can't solve problems that you just think are problems. They actually have to be somebody else's problems. <laughs> so in order to do that, you have to listen. And, and if you start listening to people, that's where you find all the problems and gives you the opportunity to then solve them for other people.
0: Nice. I like that. That's a good way to put it. What about what about saving? Like, let's let's just shift to saving and investing. I feel like everybody's got spending down. <laughs> we, we might be able to touch on that in terms of like, you know, smart spending. But yeah. but let's talk a little bit here quickly about managing investments and where to invest. And, you know, you've talked about borrowing to invest which I think is a very interesting concept. Um, and I think a lot of people are avoidant of that because it's almost like taking money that you don't have, and it's a risk and a gamble. But but let's talk about investing and saving. What are some of the key things that you know in your over a decade of being a financial advisor that people should know about investing and saving?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a loaded question. So a uh, couple things. Let me just talk about risk really quick. Risk is perceived. So you could do that like a strategy that occurs to somebody as risky might only occur that way until they understand what the strategy is. Does that make sense?
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: So to lower the risk, get educated, right? Like when I, when I got into a bunch of debt, that's because I was an idiot. I I actually, I met somebody uh, actually at your, at the event, the real talk summit. And I had met them about maybe two or three years ago. And she's like, do you remember what you said to me when we first met? I was like, no like, hi, I'm Dan. I'm a recovering douchebag. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. But that was like, that's indicative of um, kind of my, my, when I say that, I mean, like I just, I didn't research things. I, I only saw, I, I never even gave thought to the worst case scenario. I, I jumped into things without doing any due diligence or research. And, and I learned the hard way that, that that's the mistake and now before i before I invest in anything, you bet i'm going to research this shit out of whatever i'm going to invest in, because there are literally so many freaking options, so many things that you can invest in stocks, bonds, treasury bills, mutual funds uh, segregated funds, your own business, real estate i mean the, there's there's tons um, index funds etFs so I think what it comes down to, and if you don't want to. Do the research yourself. Finding somebody who's like an independent advisor, or an or somebody who's knowledgeable in that industry that you can get mentored by is going to be like your best option, um, and will save you a ton of money and and a ton of time. And I'm just going to speak really briefly about advisors. So I I've been kind of like an institutional advisor for. You know, four or five years with Investors Group. I I then kind of was a blended approach with where I was kind of independent, but working more as a uh, maybe a trainer and a coach to new advisors, and as of recently become more like a completely independent fee based advisor, attempting to model. Uh, I really like what Tony Robbins has to say about our industry, and one of the one of his biggest you know, talks is, or, or points is to the fees that, that exist on different, uh, investment. And the thing that drives me nuts about it is that you don't like most clients will never know what those fees are, what those fees actually are, because 2% doesn't sound that bad. But if you actually do the math, you know, if you, have a five, if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in a mutual fund and you're paying two, three percent, you know, that's four, six thousand dollars every year compounding. And you know, you don't even, most people don't even know that that's what they're paying. And so what I see is, uh, is that there's a, a movement out of mutual funds towards index funds, Towards ETFs, exchange traded funds, which are just basically instead of investing, having active management of a portfolio, so where fund managers are buying and selling, and um, essentially taking a little bit off of all those buys and sells, you invest in an entire the market itself. So instead of like maybe just these two hundred companies that are in, you know, the S and P five hundred, you are investing in the S and five hundred as a whole. And that's a very passive strategy and the fees are quite low. And I don't know, there's, and there's lots of different ways to invest. My personal opinion, which, you know, take it for what it is, is RSPs and tax-free savings accounts, keep the fees low, index funds, ETFs, Um, but get, but get advice about how to set that up. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that, I know that one of the big things that was, was in Tony Robbins recent books about finance was he was talking about, S&P index funds. And, and it was interesting because it showed that they actually outperformed consistently the top rated, uh, managed brokerage companies in the States or like in the world, basically. And because the fees are so low, that's what actually makes the difference, you know, the majority of the time, because you're not, you don't, you're not paying somebody to quote unquote, manage your books and then you don't have to worry about that. And so yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. I think S and P index funds are are definitely something to look at. What about what about your typical stocks? Like, let's. I'm curious as what your opinion is in terms of investing in companies, right? Like, not everybody's a, a VC, not everybody has venture capital money. But you know, what if somebody wants to to play the market and do like forex trading or do you know traditional stock trading in companies? What do you recommend in in those arenas?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, like I am no expert in those or in those arenas. But what I can say is like do the research. Right. So so if you're going to invest in a stock, invest in a stock that, you know, that you use, you know, I have Apple stock because, you know what, I buy their products. So instead of just being a consumer of Apple, I'm an owner, you know, I, that is a very Warren Buffett kind of style, you know, Uh So in terms of like how to play those games, I don't really, uh, I'm not a stock trader. Uh, I won't tell you this, this company or that company, but I will say that all the information you need to make an informed decision exists. Go to uh, Morningstar.com. It's a third party uh, website that gives you access on any stock or fund or portfolio. And you can get that information. And then you can decide whether or not it's a a good investment or not.
0: Nice, yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And like you know, when you start looking at stocks, like you said, Warren Buffett, um, I've actually taken that that model for the past five to six years of just investing in companies that I really appreciate and that I purchase products from. And so Apple, Tesla, uh, there's a local company here that's an IPO, and so I, that seems to always. Not pay off, but from the people who I know that that are in, you know, have hedge funds and whatnot, they they all say the same things. Like the guys that are the guys and the women who are really successful all say the same thing: is invest in what you love because then if you lose, it's not as big, not a, as big of a deal, you know. Because true, you're, but
1: also it's like sometimes you know, invest in what you love, but also invest in what you know.
0: Yes, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Because a company like Apple, you know, is it's going to be hard for them to crumble in the span of a few weeks, right? Like, whereas if you're investing in in penny stocks and you've got tens of thousands of dollars in there, that's going to be a little bit more challenging because it's quite a bit more volatile, right? So,
1: And yeah, I'm also just going to, like, as we're talking about, like, individual stocks, IPOs, Forex trading, like, all of that stuff, I just, I, I want to just reaffirm or or just make sure that this gets said in this context is that, it's not going to be the one stock that that makes you wealthy it's it, it it is going to be like the it is going to be a long-term disciplined and emotionally strong strategy that that ultimately wins and and so you know any invest my my portfolio uh you know in is I say index funds and that's diversified in itself, but also I have a um, portfolio that has about I don't know, like 250 different companies inside of it. And, and so there is no way that that, por- like that portfolio is diversified across countries, you know, US, Canada, but also some emerging markets and, and, and Asia. Then it's diversified between stocks, uh, so companies, but also bonds, corporate and government bonds, um, which don't yield as high of a return, but provide that stability, that that uh, security. And every single person has got a risk profile. So if you are a super conservative person, then you know what, leveraging or borrowing to invest is probably not the right strategy for you. Neither is investing in, in singular stocks. Uh, if you are you know, uh, more aggressive or looking for growth and have time on your side, then, uh, you know, you can afford to be a little bit, take on a little bit more risk, especially if you have more time. And, and I am just gonna, as I say, time, that is like, to me, if you were to ask me, what is wealth? What is, what is, uh, the meaning of, of money for me? It is, it is simply to create time it is not, it's not about having a certain amount of money. It's about having a certain amount of time.
0: Nice. Nice. It's a really good way of putting it. And just out of curiosity, you know, like I think people hear people outside of the financial industry hear this all the time is like, oh, you have to have a diverse portfolio. And I think for a lot of people, A, they don't know what the hell that means. And B, they don't know how to go do that. So Just like really briefly, can you unpack what a diverse portfolio means and why it's so important?
1: Yeah, sure. So, okay, so if just really simply, if you put all your eggs in one stock, you're that's super risky, because if that stock goes up or down, that's all you got. But if you put your company, if you put all your money in two stocks, that would be more diversified than the one. Uh, because one stock could go up and one stock could go down, right? Now, if you were to now, if you understand that, then you understand diversification. Because diversification, when I said that, there's a whole bunch of different uh, investment options that you have: real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Like that's how you diversify. So when you're looking at a portfolio, this is would be one of the simplest. When you're looking at your uh, risk level, so you might be a conservative. A moderate, a balanced, a growth, or an aggressive type of investor. If you're a conservative investor, you might have all of your money in bond type investments, which are safe, income producing investments, very safe. Uh, and, And the return for that is somewhere between 1% and 3%, which honestly, it doesn't even keep up with inflation. And so, again, that's why you wouldn't put all of your money into bonds. If you're super aggressive, you might not have any bonds in your portfolio. They'd all be stock and 100% in stock. And that would be very aggressive, very risky. And, and so your portfolio will be more volatile. It will go up and down, up and down. So it, to what's important is to figure out where you fall on this risk profile. The more you know, the more risk you can take. The more time you have, the more risk you can take. And if you figure out what type of investor you are, then, you c- then it's relatively easy to find a portfolio that matches that, because all you have to do is blend the percentages of stocks and bonds in a very simple explanation. If you have 80-20 stocks, bonds, that's more aggressive than uh, 20% stocks and 80%, which would be conservative. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great, man. Thank you. Let's, let's talk about saving. Cause I think that that's sort of, that's normally sort of like the last piece that most people look at is, okay, I'm starting to make some money and maybe I'm investing in it and I need to save it and to save up for my kids college and stuff like that. I'm curious what your thoughts are around things like RRSPs, which, you know, are, are for a long time have been a really great investment and. There is some pretty major concern, especially in in Canada. So I mean, in Canada, there's RRSPs in the states, there's 401ks. But as we see, as we see the baby boomer population starting to retire and really pulling hard out of those you know large scale investments like RRSPs, what do you see happening? Like, do, do, are you concerned about putting money into RRSPs, or do you think that it's going to be okay?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, let me first just make a distinction between saving and investing because saving is like if you have savings or investments i mean in my mind savings is having that that emergency fund that's what savings is right and if you're investing or if you're saving for a um like retirement which is a long way out you're actually investing towards it you're investing uh for because savings is going to be a totally liquid and just it, there's a, just, a, in my mind, a distinction between saving and investments. So RSPs, I would put as an investment. And so 401ks or RSPs, basically, these are programs that were created by the government. So now I'm of the opinion that anytime the government creates a program, you would be wise to ask yourself, hmm, why did they come up with that program? And, and, and the, just do the RRSP. the registered retirement savings program. So if you think about it from the government's perspective, why did they do that? Well, they did that. The way it works is you put money in your RSP and you get a tax deduction. So they incentivize you to save for your retirement. Why would they do that? Probably because they don't want to pay for your retirement. If you don't save in your early years, and you don't have money, then guess what? You're going to be on welfare or EI, and it's going to cost the government money. So the government has set up this program where you put money in your RSP and you get a tax deduction. So that's why most people do the RSPs, is to get that tax deduction. And then they get tax-sheltered growth inside the investment. But what most people don't ever think about until it is like 30 years down the road, they've built up all these RSPs, is that when you go to pull that money out, Every single dollar is going to be taxed, just like income. So yes, the government gives you a tax deduction on the front, but they get that money back. Don't you worry? They're going to get that money back. And in fact, at age seventy-one, they force you to pull the money out. Over, they they force you to it rolls over into a RIF and a income fund, and basically they force you to pull that money out. And you pay tax on all of those dollars, so it's not that the RSPs are um, good or bad, but again, it's just like understanding what it is and how it works in its entirety. To me, money is simply a game. It like we literally invented money, <laughs> and 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 I get why most people don't. Uh, it, so if money is a game, then the 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 Canadian tax code or the Canadian tax act and library, though that's the rule book. So I get why a lot of people don't know the don't know how to play, <laughs> because where where do you get that education? Where do you learn about the the rules? How do you learn about the tax rules? Um, if if taxes are the rules of the game, but when you understand how the how the tax system works and and um, you know. That your taxes are your biggest expense. You think about it. If you earn over 120K, you're almost paying 50% in tax. So would it not make sense to understand the tax rules? And if you understand those rules, you know, you're going to keep a whole hell of a lot more of the money that you earn. And that's why that's more of the game. It like you can earn. It's not even about how much you earn. It's about how much you keep. I think that's Robert Kiyosaki quote too.
0: Nice. I like it. I like it. That's good insight, man. It's really good insight. So for people that are, are out there, cause we just need to start wrapping up here. And this is, you know, I think that I'll, <laughs> we've kind of gone through the whole gamut and there's some pretty incredible information in there, but just to simplify this, cause I think that a lot of, a lot of people, money is, you know, this sort of like make or break it. It's the thing that's very, can be very stressful for them. Um, but also it's seen as this sort of, Pinnacle, right? Because if you can attain money, there's a perception that you can kind of do anything. Then you have the you have the 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 freedom to buy more time. You have the freedom to buy the things that you want, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, how do you condense all of this into sort of like two or three takeaways for anybody in in sort of any situation? And I know that that's a lot to ask, but. But what would you want to leave people with from everything that you've learned from being in the financial industry for over a decade? Okay. Just a small question. To yeah, just, <laughs> uh, just a small, just a small question. I mean, it it could come from a mindset space. It could come from you know. I think that we talked about S and P index funds and some of the some of the resources that people can look into. But you know, what are some of like what are like the two or three really important things that you think everybody? needs to know about, about money and wealth.
1: Okay. Yeah. You know, we've got a little technical there with all the uh, investments and, and fees and stuff like that. But if, if there is one thing that comes to mind that I believe is, is been the most important shift that I've had, and it would be what it takes to go from a get to a give mentality that that's that's I don't know how to necessarily like articulate it even much better than that but but I know that when I had a whole whack debt and I struggled with my money and it fucking sucked man it was the worst it felt like just weight on me and uh it was black and it was dark and it impacted my life the struggle was real (laughs) And I get that during that time, the focus was so much on me. It was about trying to get, trying to get out of debt, trying to get more money, trying to, trying to get the next client, get, 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 get. And in that space, I never had anything. I had just more debt, more struggle, more, more like pain, suffering. And, you know, I had the privilege to work with a company for four years whose entire culture was developed to give, to give first, to give fearlessly. And I got to deliver checks to charities and I got to see what impact that was for people. I got to every day go to a work environment where people focused on other people, where I got to focus on other people first. It didn't happen overnight, but it was like being immersed in a culture of giving and being generous. And focusing on other people, that shifted everything because from that you can always give. That is what an abundance mindset is. It who cares about how much money you have? How much can you give? Like, and if you start focusing on giving, oh my gosh, it comes back like pff, pff, can't even put a number on, like it's 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 just a, a way more interesting life.
0: It's almost like you're winning at the game, no matter what. Yeah,
1: because that's <laughs> like, the biggest.
0: Like you're winning no matter what. <laughs> yes, it's like the biggest scam is to try and
1: get you know your million bucks or whatever. It's like that's not even the game, man. That's <laughs> it's not the game. So mm. you know, go like. Learn about what you invest in, learn how to make money, learn to be creative, learn to solve other people's problems. And then give, like give your time, give your money, give your insights, give yourself away. And and the rest takes care of itself.
0: I love it, man. I think that's a great, that's a really great space to end on because you know I've seen and worked with a lot of guys who who have quite a bit of money and that shift from from just getting and 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 you know building and all those types of you know other words and when they shift to the space of giving it's almost like they become more abundant not just in a financial sense but in so many other ways that you just don't expect and so i think that that's a that's a really perfect way to to end things so Dan if if uh people wanted to learn more about you and about the work that you do and um you know if they wanted to work with you in some capacity how would they find you
1: Yeah uh danharrisonconsulting.com uh my Facebook and Instagram's all on there so if you uh that's my my website and you can learn about me and you can I would love to connect and 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 talk and and something that you know um believe with is in In that spirit of giving, you know, I've partnered with a a company called Goodpin. And anytime somebody goes onto my website and if they want to talk about whatever, like anything that we talked about here today or just anything around money or finances, I will give you $100 to give away to your charity through Goodpin. And um, that's all on my website. So you can check that out. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, thanks very much for your time, Dan. And for everybody out there listening, thank you very much for tuning in. Please don't forget to uh, jump onto iTunes or uh, whatever platform you're using. Leave us a review. It goes a long, long way uh, to getting our podcast into the ears of hundreds and thousands of other people. So thanks for tuning in and uh, check out mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and we will talk to you next week from their inspiring conversation here on Mantox.